Welcome to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with researcher, author, lecturer, counselor, and coach, Jeff Schott. Jeff has written Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents become important influencers in guiding their kids to success. He also wrote the book, Going, Going, Gone, about kids departing the faith they were raised in. Learn more about the program and the book at revivefamily.com. Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family and the author of the Influential Parenting Program that helps parents target the heart by going after the root of the issue rather than whacking away on the surface. I'm also the author of Going, Going, Gone, a great book that looks into why kids are leaving the faith. And given all my interaction with kids around the country, one of the reasons they're leaving the faith is this whole way we tend to talk about faith, the way we tend to interact with our kids around faith. And that's why we're doing this series on the Jesus your kids will follow, because I firmly believe, and I know deep down in my soul, that today's kids, the younger generations below the modern generation, should connect with Jesus at a deeper level than the modern generations did, because so much of what Jesus did and how he really functioned in the world connects much more with the postmodern mind than it does the modern mind. And in today's session, we're going to be talking about how Jesus didn't seek to limit the disciples, but rather he stretched them and trained them. And this is absolutely crucial to understand if we're going to connect with our kids at a heart level and see them continue in their faith. Kids today are part of the younger generations, and they have this relational community bent. They desire to help and to make a difference. That's why the younger generations in our country have had a hard time connecting to the church and staying connected to the faith as it's been presented to them. Our desire to hold the line, to keep things the way they've been in the country, has really led to part of this challenge. As people of faith have fought the changes in the laws related to things that we long believed would never really impact our country. But unfortunately, these efforts to hold the line have come across as condemning, as judging, as trying to prevent people from living their lives to the younger generations, to the kids of today. And it's often perceived by the kids of today as trying to limit access to certain people. And this is one of the cardinal no-nos for talking with the younger generations of today. They do not want to judge or condemn someone for the choices they're making in their life because they're about community and authenticity and relationship. They're about providing hope and care more than they are about right and wrong. So when they see us trying to hold the line and fighting for certain legislation, it comes across as judgment, and judgment literally hurts the younger generations of kids because it damages community in their minds. It damages authenticity and transparency in their hearts. And they would rather love someone and accept someone than judge them and cause them to feel condemned or hurt. This is the reason that the way we talk about and seek to address perceived issues in the church and in our homes is so vitally important today. When we talk negatively about someone our kids know or the way they're living their life, or we want to prevent our kids from interacting with people because we're convinced that they're going to be a bad influence in their lives, all of this comes across as judgment 
as breaking that sense of community, that authenticity, that transparency that this generation desires much more so than the modern generations did. So when they perceive that we're drawing these hard lines in the sand and we're judging people or condemning people, it undercuts, it undermines the faith that we're trying to pass on to them because it doesn't look loving and it doesn't look caring. Because these younger generations are higher in empathy and they can actually put themselves in other people's shoes and perceive how they would be feeling if they were hearing this themselves. And so they will actually often feel the hurt, maybe even take on the pain. And so this will definitely undercut our voices in our kids' lives. So now you may be thinking, but Jeff, there has to be standards. Don't you hold to the biblical truth? And I definitely do. It's a matter of how you seek to get there and how you communicate around it that is so essential to connecting with the younger generations today, to connecting with our kids and helping them see the Jesus that actually walked on this planet in the Roman Empire and made a huge difference in the hearts and minds of people And we can do the same thing with our kids today. It's hard to do when we fear all the influences and issues our kids can become ensnared with today. These are legitimate concerns and fears that we have. So we often jump in and want to protect them. But how we go about protecting them and the way we talk about protecting them will either draw them closer to us and the Lord or push them away. And I think one of the common misconceptions that we as parents might have in our country today is that Jesus lived in a far better, healthier, safer time than us. But that's simply not true. In fact, I would say that it may have been worse, more difficult, and more dangerous than the environment in which we seek to live and our kids seek to function today. Israel had been subjugated by Rome. And Rome was famous for its power, its sin, its polytheistic view of God. All of the stuff that was going on represented a real threat to the culture and faith of Israel. If we take a closer look at Rome and what was going on in and throughout Israel as a result of being part of Rome, parents had to be just as concerned and just as worried about their kids being harmed or influenced in a negative way as we are today. Slavery was legal in Rome, and people could actually be forced into slavery as a punishment for a perceived crime. Prostitution in ancient Rome was legal. It was licensed. In ancient Rome, even Roman men of the highest social status were free to engage with prostitutes of either sex without incurring moral disapproval. Rome was also famous for killing people for entertainment, whether it was on stage, in a play, or in the gladiator games. Crime was common as displayed by the story of the Good Samaritan where the priest and the Levite passed by the person who had been beaten and robbed, and the Samaritan stopped and helped him. When you add to that the wealth and the opulence of the Roman Empire and those that ruled in the Roman Empire, the draw and temptation all of this could have on people of faith in Israel were substantial. It's safe to say that the parents and faithful synagogue leaders of the time must have felt threatened by Rome, its culture, its power. In fact, in some ways, it was worse in Rome than what we're seeing in our country today. This is the environment where Jesus entered the scene. It's where he sought to find disciples who desired to follow him, who would follow him out of their own volition, rather than the volition of expectation, law, 
authority or demand. In fact, we don't see Jesus coming in and lecturing on right and wrong and confronting people in a negative way about what was going on in their lives. Jesus didn't fear sin, nor was sin his enemy. Jesus' enemy wasn't the rulers or the government, it was Satan. In fact, it can be quoted as saying, get behind me, Satan, at one point in time. And we see at the beginning of his ministry where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the evil one. We don't see Jesus obsessed with the thought that the sin was going to take his disciples away from him or that they would fall into it by being around all these sinful people. Had he approached the culture, had he approached the disciples in that way, I don't believe the disciples would have followed him, nor do I believe Jesus would have had 5,000 people chasing him around the lake when he was trying to slip away. Jesus didn't fear the frailty and the sin that was going on in the synagogue or in Rome. Rather, he leveraged it. How did he do that? He did that by showing the disciples the outcome in real people's lives, as opposed to rallying against the government and rallying against people's decisions and the way they were leading their lives. Jesus chose to interact with those people, care for, and bring healing into those people's lives. And this is the Jesus that will connect with the kids of today. Jesus knew if he got the disciples beyond the focus on good and bad, right and wrong and sin, and got them out among the people and showed them how to interact with the people in a loving, caring way, that they would see the truth that they would see in the lives of real people the consequences, the negative outcomes that came from leading a lifestyle that didn't love yourself, didn't love your body, and didn't love others. Jesus believed that the disciples were smart enough to see the outcomes in these people's lives and decide to make better decisions themselves. He didn't need to come in and lecture them and say, no, don't do this, don't do that. Don't hang out with these people. Don't hang out with those people. What he needed to do was give them the real-life, eye-opening experience of seeing where these different paths, these different decisions, left people in real life. And whether it's the rich young ruler or the woman at the well, these people were cut off. They were alone. They were ostracized. All the things that this generation of young people don't want to see. They don't want to experience. They don't want other people to experience. They will, if given the opportunity, see the outcomes in other people's lives and make better decisions for themselves, just like the disciples. We've seen it over and over again with all four of our kids. Years ago, when we started the ministry and we created the first DVD called Be Prepared, just with kids talking about the college transition and all the stuff they got into and the hurt they went through, there were churches that wouldn't play the video because it was too revealing. It was too filled with bad decisions and sin. It would influence kids in the wrong way. Yet our kids didn't just see all of those video clips raw and unedited. They actually met a lot of these kids themselves, these college students who had been hurt. And we had them share their stories with our kids. And our kids at a very young age, 12, 9, and 6, were hearing these stories and going, wow, 
maybe those aren't the paths I want to take. And this seems to be the approach Jesus took with the disciples and his followers as well. Jesus didn't seek to limit the disciples, but he sought to stretch them and train them. And he went about that in powerful ways that I believe will connect directly with today's generation of kids if we've got the courage to go down that road with our kids in our homes. We'll be back in just a few minutes to look at how Jesus stretched and trained his disciples and turned them into an incredibly powerful force, something I believe that the kids of today are ripe and primed for if we're willing to venture out onto that limb of faith that we see Jesus doing with the disciples. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of Revive Families Connecting Hearts as we continue talking about the Jesus our kids will follow. Many parents today fear the impact that society, social media in particular, is having on their kids. Researcher, counselor, and parenting coach Jeff Schott offers a better way to lead your kid and give you more influence than YouTube, Snapshot, or video games. Through research with 3,500 kids, Jeff developed a new way of parenting that's working for thousands of families. The program is called Influential Parenting. Get it today at revivefamily.com slash radio. Bring your kid's heart to life and peace to your home. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, and I'm glad to be with you today talking about this really important topic about the Jesus our kids will follow. Because I know that the kids of today want to love and accept people, want to help people and make a difference in the world like Jesus did in his world. But boy, is it scary for us as parents to consider moving down that path with our own kids. I'll never forget bringing back the video footage of interview after interview with kid after kid and having my wife sit and look at it. And we would look at each other and go, oh my goodness, boy, the truth of what they're saying is so true. But the thought of giving up my control and my authority and my position and my power to protect my kids is just horrifying. It's scary. Can they, will they make good decisions or will they be taken advantage of? Will they get hurt? Will they fall into their own weaknesses and sin? And what gave us the courage to go down this road was looking at Jesus and how he approached the disciples and how the disciples responded. We had to realize and believe what the Bible said, that God won't tempt us more than we can handle. That applies to our kids, especially our adolescents, because adolescents are basically adults in biblical times. Mary was 13 or 14 when she had Jesus. So we've got to stop looking at our kids as incapable and unable to make good decisions, as incapable and unable to manage their lives, their social activities, their schedules and calendars, because it's just not true. Sure, the brain isn't done developing, but that doesn't mean our kids don't learn better through independence in this time frame, which the brain research is proving. Where our oldest daughter was becoming hard and distant and argumentative with us, it was really clear that when we started to lead like Jesus, her heart softened. Just like so many of the people Jesus interacted with whose hearts were changed and softened and then ultimately healed, 
by the amazing love, grace, and care of the Lord. And this is where it was hard for us as parents, was to look at how Jesus leveraged the messed up world to teach his disciples. And I know the disciples were older than our kids, potentially. I know that, well, they're adults, but our kids can't handle that. I know I had the same fears and doubts, but it turned out not to be the case. See, Jesus was in this mission, I believe, with the disciples to take these guys who had been trained in the law and right and wrong and to stretch them to care and love about the people. Because without that care and love, there was no way they were going to lay down their lives for them. So I believe he spent the three and a half years with the disciples teaching them to love the unlovable. That meant taking them around all the types of people a good godly person would want to avoid. And we saw this as parents. It freaked us out. I won't lie. I remember it all too well. But as we studied Jesus and we saw the impact he had on the disciples, the people that followed him around the lakes, and upon those who were leading very different lifestyles, we couldn't deny the power of it. We couldn't deny that that's what would work with us. And that what we were doing as parents with our kids would likely lead to frustration and distance from us. So we began to really look at Jesus and how he interacted with people. And we sought to begin to interact that way with our kids and to help our kids see how Jesus interacted with people and to involve them with people that hurting and struggling in their lives because of the decisions they were making. See, Jesus didn't lecture the disciples about right and wrong. He taught in confusing parables that made them ask questions. And when we stopped focusing on right and wrong and lecturing our kids, and we started really talking with them, interacting with them around things and issues, and asking them questions and allowing them to ask us questions, things really changed in the relationship. Jesus asked questions all the time. In fact, in Mark 8, 27 through 30, he's asked a couple of really poignant questions. He asked the question, who do people say I am? And then, who do you say I am? He didn't sit down and say, I'm the Son of God, I have all power under heaven and earth, and I can send you to heaven or condemn you to hell, and so you better make the right decision and see who I really am and believe it. Rather, he asked them, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? We found that to be so powerful with our kids. In fact, sometimes they cringe when we ask the question, so what do you think? Is this decision you're making what's best for you in the near term, in the midterm, and is it best for you in the long term? They kind of cringe because they know what the answer is because we've been at this for a long time and they are making great decisions in every area of their life. Now, do we have a son who struggles with video game addiction? We do. We've talked about many times the reasons, the damage that was done with two friends that committed suicide and other things that have happened and his dyslexia, etc., that have caused him to need to feel successful somewhere. But we've had those conversations with him. We're asking him the question of who he wants to be and where he wants to end up and whether this is going to point him in that 
direction or not. It was when we began fearing the influence of others and changing the way we interacted with our kids that we gained all the influence and why we could lose the fear of the world and its impact on our kids, just like it seems Jesus had very little to no fear of the impact of the world and all the people that Jesus was taking the disciples around with his disciples. So it isn't that there's no boundaries or standards. It's the way we approach talking about it, the way we approach getting our kids to think about it, and the way we help them see in other people's lives the outcome of the decisions that they're making. Just like Jesus did by taking his spiritual kids to be with the woman at the well or the adulterous woman or the tax collectors or the rich young ruler— We can do the same. Hollywood, social media darlings, families that we know in the community, our kids' nemesises and friends can all serve as valuable teaching tools to help kids look beyond the fame and the glory and the apparent immediate success by looking at the long-term outcomes with some of the most popular people out there. How did their marriages end up? How did their kids end up? Having them look at that and asking the questions, do you want to be divorced, can be a powerful tool because I don't know any kid that wants to end up divorced. I don't know any kid that wants to end up being hurt or being wounded like so many of the popular starlets have been. With things like premarital sex, we can handle them in ways that that allow our kids to come to conclusions on their own. I love to do this by mixing the Bible and real life. Opposed to saying, don't have premarital sex, don't be alone with your boyfriend, don't do this, don't do that, which are all fine things, I found it to be way more powerful to ask the question, why do you think God said, let the marriage bed be honored by all and let the marriage bed be kept pure? And letting them wrestle with and transparently answer the question. And if at first they're not able to answer the question, well, do you think God is a cosmic killjoy? He just has these things in there to make life no fun? I've found that asking questions like these help them begin to process and think through and start to come up with other answers as to why God might put it in there. And then I'll say, hey, do you know anybody at school that's had premarital sex? And have they broken up with that boyfriend or girlfriend? And they're like, yeah, how painful was that breakup? Oh, it was incredibly painful. Do you think it was worse because they were intimate with each other? These are the types of very transparent conversations I have with my kids, mixing what God's motive was with real-life experience that's caused my kids to go, wow, I want to follow God because it's better. It protects me. It keeps me from pain. It makes things easier, not because I have to or because God's a cosmic killjoy. Jesus believed in in man's heart and desire to do good. And this next generation of young kids desires to care and love and to make a difference and to care for people just like Jesus, which is why I know if we'll approach them this way, why I know if we'll talk about the real Jesus and how he interacted with people and how he loved people and sought to get in and help them and heal them, I know they'll respond. Younger generations are tired of not feeling trusted or believed in, understood, or listened to. And yet Jesus took these disciples who had to be confused given what they grew up under 
And he molded them, he trained them, and then he empowered them, sending them out without any food or clothing, telling them to knock on three doors, and if no one responded, to shake the dust off their feet and move on, no expectation or performance. He believed that if they saw the real world and they learned to love and care for people the way Jesus loved and cared for people, that they would make great decisions and that they wouldn't be tempted more than they could bear. And that's what I've seen over and over again with our kids, with the kids of parents who have adopted Influential Parenting, our parenting program that's now available online. You can go there today and sign up and go through a class that's all based upon the reality of today, the reality of Jesus's time, and how the Good Shepherd led, how he pointed the disciples to the Holy Spirit the way we as parents need to be doing as well with our kids. If we want to raise a generation of kids that don't fall prey to the influence, we've got to stop being afraid of the culture and limiting our kids and trying to protect them and isolate them. And we've got to begin to lead like Jesus, because that's when the kids are going to see the truth of the gospel, the love and care and grace of Jesus. And that's when their hearts are going to jump on board. And when they do, they're not going to be pulled off track just like the disciples weren't pulled off track. Thanks for joining us for Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott. We'll be back next week to talk more about the Jesus our kids will follow because we don't want to be the reason to inadvertently cause our kids to walk away from the faith. Please visit our site, revivefamily.com. Go to the bottom of the page, sign up, and you'll get the releases of our new blogs, our new podcasts that come out so that you can follow along. Continue to challenge yourself as a parent to live and lead like Jesus. Thanks for joining us and have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support.